If you'll take out your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. <clears throat> we find ourselves in our continuing study of the Sermon on the Mount. We're getting closer uh, to uh, the end of it. Uh, last time, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we heard uh, Jesus teach about two ways and two gates, uh, one narrow, one wide, uh, only the narrow and the hard way uh, leads to life. And the reality is Jesus said only a few uh, enter the narrow gate and walk that hard road in Christ. Well, in this next section, as we'll see, Jesus uh, issues a clear and strong warning against false prophets. One that will be echoed throughout the New Testament epistles, especially, and one uh, that we heard this morning in Philippians chapter 3 as Pastor Carl preached about enemies of the cross. So you'll see some and hear some similarities from that sermon in this one this evening. So let's read Jesus' words together, starting in verse 15. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for your word. <clears throat> we thank you for these words of, of Jesus, uh, preached so many years ago, and yet by your spirit, designed to be preached to our hearts tonight. We lift them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like many uh, movie lovers uh, today, especially uh, among our young folk, I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies. I've seen all of them multiple times, even without my children. Uh, and I, have, uh, I will say I have fully embraced the entire Marvel universe as my very own. Um, but I have to admit, I really don't uh, comprehend well how a multiverse works or how uh, there can be so many alternate timelines. Uh, but I love the characters, and one of my favorite characters in these comic-inspired movies uh, is Loki. Now, if you're not familiar with Loki, uh, he is Thor's adopted brother. Uh, but if you don't know who Thor is, uh, then we have a lot more to talk about. Uh, <clears throat> but what you do need to know about Loki uh, is uh, that he is the god of mischief. Uh, the god of mischief. And as the god of mischief... Uh, he does all sorts of mischievous things. Uh, he can create holograms of himself. So you think he's there, but he's not really there. Uh, he can change himself to appear as different beings. Uh, Loki is full of pride and he sees himself as the rightful ruler of Asgard as well as the entire universe. He always talks about himself having this grand and glorious purpose, which is pretty much to rule the world. Well, in this way, Loki resembles Satan, uh, who, as Scripture tells us, appears as an angel of light in order to deceive the nations uh, and to exercise his arrogant power. 
Uh, and as I say that, you're probably wondering, how can you like a character who reminds you of Satan? I know, that's a whole other question. Um, but Loki also, as we get into our text tonight, reminds us uh, of false prophets, of false teachers uh, that we need to recognize and, as Jesus says, to uh, beware of. So as we look at this text uh, tonight, we're going to see uh, two major things here uh, that Jesus tells us about false teachers. First, he's going to show us what false teachers resemble and then uh, how we are to recognize them. So to our words, how we're to, uh, how, what they resemble and how we're to recognize them. So uh, look at verse 15. There we see what false teachers or false prophets resemble. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now that, that word, that, that double word false prophet is literally pseudo prophet. We know that prefix pseudo, right? Pseudo is what we put in front of a lot of words to designate it as a fake uh, pseudonyms are fake names that authors or celebrities take on uh, to be someone else. Uh, pseudoscience looks like real science, but it's actually fake science. Uh, a pseudo-intellectual is a person who acts really intelligently, uh, but is actually just faking it. Uh, so here we have a pseudo-prophet, one who resembles a true prophet, uh, advertises uh, what he says as truth, but is actually a fake. He's a sham. According to Jesus, these false prophets, or we're going to say false teachers, they resemble sheep. They resemble sheep. Look at what Jesus says. He says, these false teachers come to you looking like sheep or looking like uh, someone in sheep's clothing. Now, what does Jesus mean by this phrase? Uh, do fake teachers look all soft and fluffy on the outside? Probably not. Uh, do they appear maybe pure as the wind-driven snow in how they act and speak? Probably. Well, clearly, Jesus is pointing to the fact that they resemble true Christians, ones who are followers of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. The reality is that false teachers, false prophets sit in the pews with us. They worship God alongside of us. They claim to love Jesus just like we do. They act like they're just out for the truth, wanting to be authentic Christians. Now, if, if we just look then at outward appearances, and fortunately, as we often do, the false teacher looks harmless looks innocent, looks friendly, looks like even someone we want to be around. They look just like us, but they are faking being sheep. Inwardly, look what Jesus says. He says they're ravenous wolves. In other words, they, they come with a singular purpose, not to be sheep, but to eat sheep. Just like Satan, they've come to kill, steal, and destroy they mix in with the flock of God, just resembling another sheep. And because of that, they are very effective at picking off Christians one by one. So who was Jesus thinking of when, when he said these words in this sermon? Who are, were these pseudo prophets, these fakes? 
Well, certainly Jesus would have had the scribes and Pharisees in mind. Uh, He spoke of them uh, in chapter 6 as being hypocrites, another word for for fake. But I'm sure he was thinking of other people as well. Uh, Specifically, any teacher or leader who selfishly and maliciously work to deceive people, work to lead people astray, anyone who tries to get people to abandon the great shepherd. Now, if you remember the Jesus' other teaching about sheep and shepherd, which he taught about multiple times, but specifically in John chapter 10, Jesus describes these same people as thieves and robbers, remember, who, who don't come in through the gate. They come over the fence. They, they steal. But the good news that Jesus says there is, They will only be heard, they will not be heard by those who are true sheep, right? The true sheep recognizes the voice of the great shepherd, not these fakes. So in the end, what Jesus is telling us in this first part of these verses is that we will understand, we have to understand that false teachers, false prophets will resemble Christians. They will look like us, but they will only end up trying to ravage us. So then look, Jesus moves on to his second major point, which we will spend the bulk of our time on. He he teaches us how false teachers are recognized. Look at verse 16, the first few words. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, it stands to reason that if false prophets or false teachers resemble true Christians, then we need help to recognize them, right? If they resemble us, How are we going to recognize them, Jesus? So Jesus chooses here to help us out by using a tree and its fruit analogy, a familiar analogy then as well as through all of time. Look at the rest of verse 16. Uh, Jesus says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Well, the answer to these rhetorical questions are no, of course not. Grapes don't grow on thorn bushes. Figs don't come from thistles. And so he's teaching us that principle again that is common to all of us, that if you want to know, even if you're not a tree expert, if you want to know what kind of tree you're looking at, just look for its fruit, right? And when you see the fruit, you know what sort of tree it is. Fruit is that indicator, right? Fruit is simply the product of that particular tree that tells you the name of that tree. And he continues in verse 17 and 18 and elaborates a little more. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So again, the principle, not only that you'll recognize uh, the tree by its fruit, but you also know the ones that are diseased or healthy, right? You know, the ones producing good fruit that you want to eat and, and bad fruit that you want to avoid. So Jesus here is using this very general biblical principle that can be applied in many ways in order to teach us specifically though tonight and how to spot a false teacher. We have to pay attention to a person's fruit. We have to pay attention to a person's fruit. So what is this fruit then? I think with some uh, backing from other scripture as well as what we see in this text, we are meant to see this fruit in three different ways. First, Fruit comes in what is said in our words. Uh, Fruit is in how we live. 
And also, fruit is in the ultimate end. In what we say, in how we live, in our ultimate end. So let's flesh that out. First, when he talks about fruit and false teachers, Jesus is saying you will recognize them by what they say. Now, let's again make it clear uh, what Scripture says about this. Because Scripture considers the fruit of our hearts to be our words. We see that in several places, but... One of the best places is actually in the parallel passage to this very text. And that's in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. You don't have to turn there, but let me read to you the most important part there in verse 45. Jesus says these words. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And this is the part we remember. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there we see, right, that words are the products of our hearts. They reveal what's going on at the heart level of our existence. So false teachers, then we must know, first and foremost, reveal themselves to us, can be recognized by us by what they say, what they teach, what they preach, what they write, whether it be from the pulpit or uh, on a podcast or in blogs or in books. But unfortunately, as easy as this might sound to us, uh, false teachers make it difficult. They don't usually introduce themselves to us and say something like, hi, I'm a false teacher. And what I'm going to teach you is not real Christianity, but it's sort of close. And it, actually, it's a little better. I wish it was that simple, right, to, uh, for us to discern false teachers. So I want to make it practical and helpful tonight as we think about words that false teachers say. I want to give eight examples of things false teachers have said for a long time, but especially what they say today. Words that are around us all the time to help us recognize the fruit of false teachers. Now, many of these that I'll go through don't sound at first like blatant heresies, but of course... That would be too easy to, to recognize. These statements are a bit more subtle. But be clear as we talk about these a little bit that these are rotten fruit from rotten trees. So let me give you these. Let's start with number one. If Christianity doesn't change, we'll lose the next generation. Now, as one who is always interested about the next generation, my own children, as well as, as the children of the world. Um, this first statement's a bit appealing, isn't it? After all, uh, I want to see Christianity always changing, but I want to see it change by becoming more biblical, uh, <clears throat> more sound, more Christ-centered, more gospel-centered. That's not what false teachers are saying with this statement. That's not at the heart of this statement at all. Instead, what is meant is that the Christianity of the Bible is outdated. It's outmoded. It hasn't aged very well. It's not kept pace with the current cultural climate. Rather than people adapting to God's way, God's way is supposed to adapt to modern man's way. So Christianity, we're told, must become more progressive, more open, and more attractive. If we don't make it more attractive, again, the threat is you're going to lose the next generation. People won't be interested. You won't get the young people. Now, this is at the heart of much of the debate in the church today over things like 
gay Christianity, critical race theory. Uh, Christianity, they say, again, just if we don't adapt, we'll die. Now, again, this fruit has been hanging around on trees for centuries. It just manifests in different ways in different cultural moments. And we must be aware of them. All right, example number two. Doctrine just divides, but love unifies. Yes, that sounds good. We want to be unified. And yes, Christians have held various doctrines and theologies uh, from the very beginning. In one sense, it's a fact. We all agree doctrine does divide. But why does it divide? How does it divide? And is that division a bad thing? Well, the truth is doctrine divides because it draws a line between truth and error. Doctrine divides because it forces you to choose between one belief and another. While we can certainly agree that division in the church is a grievous thing, the false teacher says that it's unacceptable. We must do whatever it takes to unite. And that usually means we unite over love, whatever that means. We, we must actually go to the lowest common denominator of love and just all get along. Ultimately, what it will do to us is it forces us to give up our beliefs, to get rid of them and reject any notion of truth of absolute truth. All right, example number three. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you love Jesus. Similar one to number two. Again, in that, there's a grain of truth. Of course, what is most vital in our lives is that we love Jesus. Only by a relationship with Jesus Christ can we have eternal life. But the problem comes when we start talking about what we believe about Jesus. Who is this Jesus that we must all love? Is it the Jesus of the Bible or some other variant version of Jesus? And then also, what does it mean to love Jesus? Is that just an emotional or affectionate sort of love? Or does it include obeying Jesus, putting our full trust in Jesus, submitting to Jesus as Lord? You see the problem. Number four. The false teacher might come to you and say, we're all basically good people. We all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Now, again, the back half of this is true. All human beings make mistakes. Uh, no one can claim to be perfect. But wrapped in this bit of truth is a big lie. That is, at our core, we are all good people. Now, this has been the dogma of self-esteem, psychologies, and philosophies for quite some time. Talking about sin is unacceptable among false teachers. We must learn to soften our language, they would say, to talk about mistakes and errors and weakness instead of sin. Now, that certainly appeals to me and to all of us and to our pride, doesn't it? Who uh, wants to be told they're basically sinful? I like to think I'm basically good. But unfortunately, this foundational belief of people are basically good leads to quite an array of lies and outright wickedness in the end. So it may at first again to you sound compassionate to speak, as, uh, to speak of all people as good, but it confuses and obfuscates the twin truths of people, all people being made in the image of God and the doctrine also of original sin. All right, example number five, 
Believe in yourself. The greatest love of all is your love for you. Now, if there's one belief that's acceptable to all false teachers, it's believing in self. Uh, if, if, as many believe, self is basically good or even better than good, uh, we should then believe in self, trust in self alone. We know that we live in a self-dominated culture. So these attitudes are always around us. <clears throat> and they feed a natural desire we have to be self-focused anyway. So sometimes uh, false teachers, and unfortunately I have heard it even in the past, away past from pulpits, false teachers will say that you can only love God and love other people if first you learn to love yourself. That's a lie. The truth is that we all come out of the womb loving self. What we need to learn above all is how to deny self, how to die to self, and how to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, according to what God's word says. All right, then there's another one, number six. Be true to yourself. Live authentically. Now, Pastor Carl referenced this lie this morning. This is a, a newer and a subtler twist on the last lie. Uh, it's a little more fashionable, especially with young people, it seems. Uh, one that appeals to them. Uh, live authentically. Be true to yourself. Now, again, at first blush, that might sound good, but if you understand what it means, now we have a different problem. So here you go. Here's the definition of living an authentic life uh, uh, right off psychcentral.com, uh, authority there on living authentically. Here it is. To live authentic, listen to these words closely. To live authentic means coming from a real place within. It is when our actions and words are congruent with our beliefs and values. It is being ourselves, not an imitation of what we think we should be or have been told we should be. There is no should in authentic. You hear it? This false teaching, sadly, only swings wide the gate open to living life any way you choose including uh, that this is the foundation for all of our new gender teaching, isn't it? And I, our teaching on identity. But it also, again, more dramatically, moves a person away to obedience to the shoulds of God's word. If you throw away that life isn't about the shoulds, we throw away scripture. And again, it also denies, or at least the, the authority of scripture. Again, it denies itself as sinful at all, and that there's uh, any real authority in life other than self-authority. All right, number seven. Jesus is certainly a way, but he is not the way. Oh, you've heard that. That's been around for a long, long time. These false statements have many variations, right? People who will, who will admit to you, yes, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a great prophet. He was sent on a great mission of mercy. Uh, <clears throat> because unfortunately, while these statements have been around a long time, we're getting to a place that so much of it has been believed that one of the worst politically incorrect thing a person can say today is that Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the uh, only way to heaven and to the Father. Now, of course, Jesus said it himself about himself. All false teachers, when you get right down to it, all wolves in sheep's clothing ultimately reject something about the true Jesus. If not Jesus in totality. 
if you've studied heresies of church history, you'll know that most of them, maybe all of them, have denied something about what the Bible teaches about Jesus. And so in order to recognize a false teacher, always dig down deep into what he or she believes about Jesus. All right, I could do this all night, but only one more. Number eight, here we go. The Bible isn't all true. So many stories are so unbelievable, but that's okay. It's certainly worth reading as good moral lessons. So now, not only do you need to listen well to what false teachers say or write about Jesus, but you need to hear what they say about the word of God. There are almost an endless amount of ways to oppose the validity of the Bible these days. Uh, from the very beginning, false teachers promote a reliance on pseudoscience or new research or advanced research or even simply trusting in your own intellect. Bible stories from creation onwards are picked off one by one until the word of God is just reduced to another human book of wisdom. But the reality is when the Bible is no longer true in totality, then God is no longer God. All right, so that's some examples, many examples that I hope will help you think about what the fruit is of what false teachers say. So second, let's talk about how false teachers are also recognized by how they live. Fruit in scripture is always more than just what comes out of our mouth, right? Our, our fruit is our character. It's the way we act. It's the way we live as people. So if these wolves in sheep's clothing, these, these false prophets are really fake Christians, then in the end, their lives will show it. Now, this is a, a little bit more challenging to recognize when it comes to false teachers, since we don't see their lives before us very often. We often see them from afar, again, through their books, their blogs, or their podcasts. But ultimately, what a person believes in his or her heart about God, about Jesus, about self, about sin, about this world will manifest in your attitudes, your choices and behaviors. All false beliefs and teachers will either tilt a person's life towards moralism and legalism on one end of the spectrum or towards the other extreme of antinomianism and hedonism. Any false and fake worldview will lead a person to live a, a self-centered life in the end rather than a Christ-centered life. Now, yes, true Christians can also lack good fruit in their lives and sin grievously. And false teachers may look first, at first fine, like fine moral Christians. Yet, yet the logical end of their lives that they believe is a life that ends up looking a whole lot more like the world than a life of true holiness. Because we know the truth in scripture, right? That rejecting sound doctrine will produce wrong practice. Thinking of people as basically good will not lead to good behavior. Believing in self will only glorify self. And rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ and the authority of God's word will not grow the fruit of the spirit. But according to Galatians 5, will only produce the deeds of darkness. So we listen carefully to what people say. We listen and we look carefully at how they live. And thirdly, uh, look at verse 19. We see that false teachers are recognized by one more thing, and that's by their ultimate end. Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Jesus says to us tonight that all pseudo-prophets, all false teachers, all wolves in sheep's clothing will end up in the fire, will end up in eternal separation from God in hell. We are to beware of false teachers because of where they lead us. Our eternal souls are at stake. They may promise us enlightenment, wisdom, understanding, but in the end, they are cut down and thrown into the fire, Jesus says. They may promise self-fulfillment and the good life, but all, in the end, all that comes is death. So Jesus is clear and emphatic to us. Don't be fooled by false teachers. You must recognize them. You don't, where, you don't want to go where they're going. So he reiterates as he closes this section in verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. A second time he says, recognize them by their fruits. Recognize them by their words, their actions, and finally by watching the path that they're on, the path that they're walking towards their ultimate doom. Well, as I close tonight, I want to give you one last example and one more word of helpful application. First, an example that confirms, I think, the impact of false teachers today. Earlier this month, I read a headline from the Western Journal, and this was the headline. It said, American church has fallen. Shocking poll shows fake Christianity has supplanted the biblical worldview. Yes, that caught my attention. And if we had more time, we'd read the whole thing. So you can read it, <clears throat> look it up online. But here's the very nut of it, the important paragraph. The author writes, Thanks to cultural corrosion and a lack of biblical literacy, a new fake Christianity is now being preached within the American church. This counterfeit religion is moralistic therapeutic deism moralistic therapeutic deism, a worldview that has quickly gained prominence and given many Americans a theology that looks nothing like historical Christianity, despite what they may claim. Moralistic therapeutic deism is watered down, feel good, fake Christianity. Again, I commend that to you and you learn more about what moralistic therapeutic deism is. And then one last vital application for our hearts as we close tonight. While, while Jesus, again, is certainly proclaiming to us, to our hearts, the need for Christians to be aware, to beware of false teachers in our midst, isn't he also calling us to pay close attention to our own lives, to our own words, to our own actions? What things are coming out of our mouths here at Pear Orchard, not just from the pulpit and the lecterns, but as we talk to each other, as we counsel each other, as we speak to one another, what false teachings may we be parroting and passing on to others? And also we must look at our own lives and say, what rotten fruit is on my tree instead of the fruit of the Spirit? In other words, we always must start with ourselves in self-examination. What do the fruit of our own lips and the fruit of our own lives demonstrate. Do they show that you are a sheep following the good shepherd? Or may you actually be turning into a wolf in sheep's clothing? 
as we recognize then things that are false in our lives, lies that we may believe, be, be believing and living, God will use that by his spirit and help us by the grace of God to recognize the ravenous wolves and the rotten fruit that is all around us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for your word to us, a word that is convicting to our own lives and our own hearts. And again, the clarion call to beware, to see uh, what, what these false teachers resemble and to recognize them by their fruit. Help us to listen well, to watch well, to submit all that we hear, see, and learn to the word of God. And by your spirit, continue to grow us in that truth. In Jesus' name. Amen.